<laughs> right, we, we had our staff Christmas party this past Friday night, and I said something about Dig Dug and, and the cards going out, and that it was part of it really was we wanted to connect with people um, in a certain age demographic. And I said, it came out in 82, and I was talking to Hope and Jason Sharp, and, and they said, um, we weren't born yet. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for that. Uh, um, as a parent, if you if you're a parent, aunt, or uncle, got some kind of that connection. Um, do you ever see your kids do something incredible, and you just sit back and go, "That's so good. That's just so good." When when um, our kids were here for Christmas, uh, our grandkids um, were doing some stuff, and there were a couple of times that I just thought, "Oh, they are so kind." It's just such a neat thing to be able to see that. Uh, the reason I say that is because um, yesterday was, it was just a cool day. You know, we're, we're doing Night to Shine, which is incredibly cool. Yesterday, um, we, presents went out to 79 children um, for, uh, for Angel Tree. 79 kids. That's by far the most we've ever done. And, um, and that's because that's you guys did that. Yeah, that's... Um, uh, if, if you don't know what that's about, it, it, par- kids whose parents are in prison and are not going to have Christmas um, are having Christmas because people give generously because of what Jesus has done. And that's just a, a cool thing. Yesterday, downtown DeWitt, there was some stuff going on, and, and North Point's band played for that. Um, we, we helped host a, a thing with Santa there to just communicate the love of Jesus in the, in the community, and that's a cool way, uh, a cool thing. Um, uh, several months ago, Chris mentioned this last week as we started this new series, Dig Dug, uh, Dig Dug Christmas. Um, uh, several months ago, we were talking about what we are going to do at Christmas. It was September, and, and I went into that meeting with the preaching team, and I said, Here, here's, my, here's my thing, man. We will, when Christmas comes, we will have just packed 88,000 meals for people in the in Lansing area. The letters will have gone out to 3,800 families that their that their medical debt that's been in collections has been uh, has been forg- it's been paid off by North Point um, and and I think that there's going to be this sense this Christmas of people that um, that just experience this freedom from having been rescued and as we talked about it and as we talked about paying off the medical debt. Um, we, we just talked about some of the conversations that we had. Um, you know, when we first began to talk about that, um, the immediate reaction at a leadership level was kind of like, uh, wait a second, we're, we're paying off medical debt for people that maybe don't deserve it. You know, maybe they've made some bad choices, whatever. And I said, well, yeah, there's probably some people like that, but there's a whole lot of people that stuff has just happened to, you know, that they've just experience some kind of catastrophic thing and and we'll be paying off their debt and and the, the, again the conversation what about those people that don't deserve it and and I got I just got to kind of take you into the room with the elders that night there, there was this sense um, somebody said you know that's our story we all have a debt that has been paid and there's not anything that we could do to deserve it it, it's been paid by Jesus. And so to be able to demonstrate that uh, has just been a really cool thing. So anyway, back to the preaching team. Story time with Uncle Rick, right? Um, uh, back to the preaching team. I mean, we, we talked about these holes that people uh, have. And that led to this video game, Dig Dug, that I didn't remember because that was a, that I was having kids at that point in time, didn't have any money for any 
video games. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was there. Um, but we've been talking about, um, about um, goodness. I got a new computer. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> we fi- uh, it's easy for us to find ourselves in holes, right? We, we all have different kind of holes. Um, some people are in financial holes. Some people are in relational holes. Uh, you know, some people wake up in the morning and, and they recognize that there's physically stuff that's going on in their lives and they feel like they just can't see past anything because of the, of the hole that they're in. Some people are in holes because of addictions. Some people are in holes because of their control issues. Um, some people are, uh, are in holes because of their sinful choices. But we're all in holes. And the passage that we're going to look at today, um, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some common threads that are maybe involved in lots of those holes. But the passage today is, uh, is a really interesting one because it's, it's uh, when you realize that you're in a hole... Um, and it doesn't make any sense at all, like there's no reason at all. If you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to John chapter 9. Uh, if you want to grab one of the Bibles from the backs of the pews in front of you, you can do that. Again, John chapter 9. John is one of the biographies of Jesus. It was uh, written by one of uh, uh, Jesus' closest friends about stuff that he saw. Um, before I jump into that passage, while you're getting there, if you're opening up the app, when you leave today, we have a Christmas ornament for you to take home. It's a shovel uh, to remind you of Dig Dug Christmas and to just let that be there to, to help you remember that Jesus is the one who digs us out of the holes. So uh, be sure and get one of those on, on the way out. That'll be cool. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 3 is where we're starting. As, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What they were really asking is, is this guy in a hole because of his own making, because of something he's done, because of something that his parents have done? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't that cool? He found himself in a hole so that God would be glorified. Sometimes, here's here's the big theme of the message today. Sometimes there's no one to blame for the hole that you're in. It's It's not anything that you've done. It's not something that people have done to you. Sometimes you just find yourself in a hole that no one's to fault for. Sometimes that's the most frustrating thing, right? It's like, oh man, if I knew it was my own fault, that'd be okay. Or if I could blame somebody, but it just doesn't make any sense. I, um, I just referenced my grandkids being here for Thanksgiving. Many of you who, who've been around for a while, wow, dig dug, baby. Uh, many of you have been around for a while. Remember, uh, three and a half years ago, um, I, I ask you to pray. Our oldest daughter, Leah, was pregnant, and in the sonogram, um, the baby was diagnosed with an omphalocele. It meant that her organs were outside of her body in the womb. Um, And uh, long story short, um, God really sustained them through that process. She She was born at Children's Hospital in Kansas City. Lots of people prayed over and over and over again for her. Uh, We'll see if that helps. Uh, and, um, and, and 
ultimately, the organs were able to be put back into her body, and she has grown up uh, to, to be a wonderful kid. Here's Sylvie three years later. Is that a hoot or what? Um, um, who is to blame for her, her own fallacia? You know? When, when you get the diagnosis that, you're, that the baby that's grown inside you has major things wrong, who's to blame for that? Nobody, right? The disciples come to Jesus and said, this guy's been blind since he was born. Whose fault is it? And Jesus says, it's nobody's fault. God's going to be glorified through this. You know, when you go for an interview, and it's a job that you really need to have, that, that, that's just so, it's so critical for you to have this job. And you go and you're there on time, you're ready to, you know about the company, you're, you're dressed right, everything happens. And you, and you say, you know what, you want to bring me something? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, and, and you're ready to go in the interview and like 10 minutes ahead of time, the, the person comes out and says, uh, your interview's been canceled. And, the, and there's no explanation. What, what do you do with that when you find yourself in a hole and there's nobody to blame? Because a hole is a hole no matter what happens, right? It, it, it doesn't matter if you deserve it or you don't deserve it. If you're buried, if you're inside that hole, if you're in that dark place, it's real. The, the circumstances, the environment, the, all of the stuff that you're feeling, it's real. And Jesus says about this guy, you know what, that, this has happened so that God could display his power. Um, it could be that this morning, if you're in a hole for no clear reason, that the reason that, that you're there is so that God could display his power. Thank you. But before we kind of go a little bit further in the passage, um, there's a question that I hope that's kind of on your mind. And, it, and it's this, how do I know if the hole that I'm in is my fault or somebody else's? How do I know if nobody's to blame? Um, and let me, let me just pause and address that for a second because sometimes I think it's pretty easy to say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm reaping the consequences of my own sin. Uh, my own actions. I've done, I've made bad choices, but how do I know if there's not really anybody to blame? I, I think it's this, that you look at your circumstances. How do you know? You look at your circumstances in light of scripture. We started 2019 with a, with a, uh, a challenge to dive into God's word and to let that be the mirror that we look at our lives through, to have that be the lens that we see everything around us. And I would encourage you, if you're looking at your circumstances and you're, and you're trying to make sense of them, look at those circumstances through the lens of God's Word. The second lens that I think is critical is to have a group of people around you, a disciple-making uh, friendship, uh, maybe a mentor, a life group, some group of people that can give you biblical perspective on your circumstances and that you will listen and hear when they when they say to you, no, this is not a no-fault issue. It's clear. You're in a hole because of these choices that you've made that were sinful. That you'll hear them say that, but you'll also hear them say, you know what? They're, they're in any good reason. There's nobody to blame. God's going to be glorified through this. We just don't know how yet. 
Um, those two filters, scripture and, and godly wisdom, are critical to help us analyze why we are where we are. Let's, let's keep reading. Who, um, whose sin was it? The, the, the guy or his parents? Jesus said, no, it's so that, so that God would be glorified. Uh, verse 4, as long as it's day, we must, work, we, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. That's the most um, interesting way to find healing that you can imagine, right? Jesus spits in the dirt, makes some mud, puts it on this guy's eyes, this guy's eye, and says, go, go wash in this one particular body of water, he does, and then he comes home able to see. Sometimes we find ourselves in a hole. Here's, here's, the, here's the big picture thing that, that, uh, that I want you to remember as well. Christmas is all about the rescue. Jesus came to rescue us, no matter what kind of hole that we're in. We live in a culture where right now, uh, Jamie talked about it uh, during the worship service. There's so much going on, right? Is anybody tired already because uh, of Christmas? So much stuff going on. And it's so easy to get so focused on the tinsel and all the jazz and all the activities and all the presents and all that stuff. And to miss the reality that we celebrate Christmas because God came to earth to save us. Christmas is not about Santa. It's not about the trees and the decorations. It's about this God who loves us so much that he would redeem us. Christmas is all about the rescue. This past Wednesday, I had a chance to go to uh, uh, Ovid Elsie High School and to listen to their choir do their Christmas program just for me. I, I got to go and, and just kind of give them feedback. It was great, great fun. Um, so they're singing through their program, and... and um, and in the second song, all of a sudden, there was this sense of power to what they were singing, these high school kids, um, that as the music came together uh, to tell just this powerful story. These were the words that they were singing. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. The climax of the song says, The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know? Christmas is all about this, this incredible this incredible truth that God left heaven to come to earth to save us, to dig us out of the hole, to take us out of that environment, and to give us something that's so much more. But, but I think when you look at those first few verses of chapter 9, one of the things that you realize is that rescue doesn't always look the way that we expect it to, right? If, if we're in a financial hole, we think, oh, you know what? If I just buy this lottery ticket and God blesses it, everything will be taken care of, right? We, we think, oh, if I've got this medical situation and I can just get the right meds, 
Everything will be fine and everything will be taken care of. One of, the, one of the truths that's here in this passage, I think, is that when God rescues us, he doesn't do it the way that we expect. You know, you would think if, with this blind guy, Jesus would just reach down and touch him and say, you're healed, right? That would be easy. Or maybe not even touch him. He would just say, you know what? Eyes open, you can see now. But instead, Jesus kneels down and he spits in the dirt and he makes mud in a pretty gross kind of way, right? And if the guy could see you, you know that he would be thinking, don't be putting that on my eyes, right? All of a sudden, he feels this stuff there. And Jesus says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he does. And his eyes are open. Christmas is all about the rescue. But the rescue won't always look like what you expect it to. Don't try and define the terms of your rescue. Because if you tell God what God is going to do, you don't need God, right? Allow him to do his work in whatever way he chooses. Verse 8, this guy's neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begged, uh, had seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same guy who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, nah, he only looks like that guy. But he himself said, no, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, this, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed. And then I could see. What an incredible story. You know what the number one rated television show for women is from October to December? The, the television network. Hallmark, baby. Hallmark, Um, Nielsen, it's the number one network from October to December. Um, Hallmark is a big deal at our house, and there are rules at the Ruble House. I am not allowed to make fun of the Hallmark channel. (laughs) When Deb's watching it, I'm not, literally, I, I wish you were here. I'm not allowed to ask, has the dog come home? Has it started to snow? Um, has the family been reconciled yet? Because I know it's in the last 15 minutes if, if those things happen right. Is the truck working again? Um, I'm, I'm not allowed to make fun at all. But you know what? If I sit down and watch Hallmark, if I sit down with Deb and watch a little bit, I'm hooked. I, you know, I, I, I sit down, start watching. As long, I'm hooked as long as I don't make fun of it, right? Um, Why is it? What's so compelling about the Hallmark Channel? It's because those stories are about about transformation, right? About reconciliation, about redemption. And those stories are compelling. Here's what I'm convinced of. Open the app and fill in the blank. Jesus writes for Hallmark. (laughs) When... When Jesus healed the blind man, what happened? The blind man just started telling his story. He started saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm that guy who was, I've been blind. I'd never seen anything until today. And everything has changed. Jesus in our lives writes this story of transformation that needs to be told. Um, This guy just starts to tell the story. You know what? I was in this hole. Jesus dug me out. 
Um, if you're in a hole, if you're living in a broken world, if you know pain and isolation and hopelessness, Jesus has come to rescue you. And he has come to make your life a Hallmark movie. Literally. Does that mean that your skin's going to be perfect, that you're going to find a beautiful man or woman, that your financial debt's going to go away and be paid off, that your dog's going to be found, that it's going to snow on Christmas Eve? It doesn't mean any of those things. But it does mean that Jesus has come to transform your life from the inside out, that you're going to have an incredible story to tell about the goodness of God. And don't miss this. You need to tell that story. Whenever it makes sense, whenever people notice the change in your life, you need to tell that story. Verse 12, where is this man? Where is, where is Jesus, they asked him, the, the guy who had been healed. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received a sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man isn't from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. The others asked, but wait, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. And how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Don't miss this. When Jesus transforms our lives, when he rescues us, when he changes our world, there are always going to be naysayers. There are always going to be people who don't believe that we've been rescued. People who don't believe that we're able to change. There are always going to be people who talk trash. The the hardest time is when those people who don't believe, who don't accept it, are family members or our close friends. They say, oh, no, that's not real. You can't really be the person who was born blind. I remember you've done this and this and this and this. They know that that what they've experienced, they don't think could really happen. They don't want to see the change in you. Haters are going to hate, right? Haters are going to hate. The people who don't believe may never believe. The Pharisees were religious leaders for the Jewish people. They were like the cream of the crop. They were the people who understood Scripture the best. They were people who had religious and political power, and they didn't like Jesus because he threatened their world. He threatened their influence, their position. People had begun to seek out Jesus rather than the Pharisees, and the Pharisees did not like it at all. While their charge, the accusation that they made about Jesus was that he healed on the Sabbath, it wasn't really about healing on the Sabbath at all. 
It was about their loss of influence, their loss of position, their loss of power. That's what the Pharisees were scared of. There are going to be people who are not excited that you're clean, maybe for the first time in your life. There are going to be people who are not excited when you say, you know what, I'm not going to sleep with somebody that I'm not married to. There are going to be people that, that um, are not going to be excited when you say, no, I'm not going to those places anymore. I'm not doing those things anymore because Jesus has rescued me. There are going to be people who are not excited that you have given Jesus complete control of your life. Don't be discouraged by that. Don't be disheartened by that reality. If Jesus has pulled you out of the hole, haters are going to hate, just like the Pharisees. Don't back down. Man, keep telling your story. Verse 24, a second time the Pharisees summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. The formerly blind man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples as well? <laughs> then they turned and hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Not only are the haters going to hate, they're going to go on the offensive and attack. They're going to attack you. They're going to attack what Jesus has done in your life. They're going to attack the story of Jesus. Make no mistake about it. The attacks will be incredibly personal. With the Pharisees, when they say, we don't even know where this guy came from, what do you think that hinted at? 30 years earlier, there had been this pregnancy of this young girl. She wasn't married. We don't know. We don't even know where he came from. The attacks will be personal. Um, with you, it probably won't be whether or not you've experienced forgiveness or grace of Jesus, the grace from Jesus. It, it may not even be, the attacks may not even be about whether or not you've been transformed. It will just simply be hateful. People who don't want to accept that Jesus can change their lives will go personal. Have you ever had an argument with someone and everything broke, broke down, and, and you couldn't get it resolved. And as time went on, that what ended up happening was that argument, that breakdown in communication, it just spiraled out of control. And it just got worse and worse and worse until the issue itself that caused that, that argument just is completely lost. Everything's blown up because the attacks have happened. Um, you know, it reminds me a, a ton... <laughs> of what happens during a political cycle, right? We're uh, heading into a, a year of presidential election. Politicians can't talk substantively about issues, it seems like, anymore. Sometimes because we as their constituents don't want them to. But it's difficult for them, and so, so they run oftentimes just simply on all of the bad things about the other candidate that they're running against. 
They run attack ads about their opponent, opponents. Their entire, um, their entire advertising campaign is not about why you should vote for me. It's about why you shouldn't vote for that other person. That's the tactic of Satan. When he can't discount what God is doing in your life, he starts attacking your character. He starts bringing up stuff from your past. He starts saying things that aren't true. He starts saying things that aren't even relevant at all. All to create a diversion from the wonderful grace of Jesus. Attack ads. When you're being attacked for the transformation that you've experienced through Jesus, attack ads are a smokescreen. They're just simply meant to divert attention from the real issues of what Jesus has done in your world. The Pharisees, the Pharisees say, give God glory by telling the truth. You need to tell the truth. We, we know that Jesus is a liar. And what they're really saying is, we want you to lie. Because we, can, we know that you were blind and now you see. But we hate Jesus. And we don't want him to have credibility. We don't want him to have power. What what was really at stake for the Pharisees? I think that they recognized the power of Jesus. I think that they recognized the holiness of God. I think they recognized the spiritual insight and wisdom of Jesus. But they weren't ready to give up the world that they knew and that they were in charge of. They didn't want to follow Jesus. They didn't want to, they didn't want to give up what they had. So the attacks that they were making, they were all a smokescreen. The man who had been healed, who wasn't a rabbi, who had no theological training, cut right through the smokescreen. Look at what happens in verse 30. The man answered, that's remarkable. You don't know where Jesus comes from, but he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What did the man say? In the words of Chris Carter, Jesus did done dig dug us out. Right? When he tells his story, when he cuts through the smoke screen, he says, all I can tell you is this, Jesus is the one who's done it all. Jesus is the one who did done, dig, dug us out, right? He's made the difference in our life. If you've come this morning, maybe you describe your life as your situation as being in a hole. Maybe you've done, dug that hole yourself. Maybe you've been like this blind man and, and you're in a hole and, and there's no logical reason for why you're there. It's not like somebody else's choices put you there. It's not like you've sinned and caused that. You just kind of woke up and said, man, I'm here and I'm just swallowed up. It stinks. There's no real reason. There's no real explanation. Let me, let me remind you again of the first few verses of this encounter. Jesus saw a man born blind from birth, or a man blind from birth. His disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither the man nor his parents, Jesus said. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It may be today that you're in this hole so that the spectacular power of Jesus can be shown through your circumstances. 
There's, there's, there's one piece of this story that, I, that I, I, don't, I don't want you to miss, and it's this. Um, when the Pharisees go and talk to, talk to the, this man's parents, um, they say, you know what, he, he's a grown man. You ask him the questions, don't ask us, which means Jewish culture, this guy is probably at the least 30 or 35 years old, okay? He's been blind from the time that he was born for at least 30 years. What do you think he thought for those 30 years? He's in this hole of blindness. He can't see anything. Everybody else can see. He can't. Do you think that he even ever imagined that he would be dug out of that hole? I, I don't think so. I don't think that he woke up that morning and said, today's the day. It's, everything's going to change. I don't think he had any sense of that at all. If you're in a hole and you feel like you've been there forever and that it's never going to change, understand that your, your perspective is being driven by your circumstances right now, not by the power of God. And I want, I want to encourage you to look to God, not to your circumstances. God may dig you out today or in five years or ten years if Jesus doesn't come back first. He will do his work at whatever point in time he chooses to, but God is the one who has the power to change your circumstances. And you can trust him. You can look to him over and over again for him to transform your life your perspective, because Jesus came to do that. Christmas is all about the rescue. Jesus came to save us. On, on January 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 took off from New York's LaGuardia Airport on its way to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, that plane took off, and, and most of you know the story now. The, the captain of the, of the flight, as, uh, as they took off, flew through a flock of geese, or a flock of geese through, flew through that particular flight, took out both of, of the jet engines, and the pilots, uh, Sully, Sullinger, um, landed the plane on the Hudson River. 150 people on board, five crew members along with, with the captain, all escaped that, that situation, that hole that existed. Who, whose fault was it that the plane went down? You know, there's, there's a whole movie in the, the uh, I think, the um, powers that be, the FFA tried to establish who was to blame for that. You know what? There's nobody to blame when a flock of geese fly into the flight path of a jet, right? No, nobody to blame. Sully lands the plane on the Hudson, and 150 people are rescued. It doesn't matter if there's no explanation for the hole that you're in. The rescue is just as sweet, right? Amen? Um, if you're in the hole and you're rescued, uh, that's life-changing. I, I, I just want to encourage you this morning as we finish if you've experienced that rescue, tell your story. Tell it every time that you can. Because that's why you have it. That's why God did the work in you, so that it wouldn't just impact you, so that it would impact the people in your life as well. Um, I, I want to encourage you. Maybe, maybe you've never experienced that rescue. 
and, and you're thinking this morning, can I trust Jesus? Can I trust Jesus to change my life, to change my circumstances? The answer to that question is yes. Um, in just a second, if that's where you are, I, I want to invite you to stand up and, and, and we're going to pray for you. Um, it may be, it may be that, that this morning that you've experienced that life transformation, but boy, today on December 8th, 2019, you're feeling the weight of that hole incredibly. You're looking up and you can see a little bit of sky, but you see these walls all around you because you're deep in the hole. And second, I, I want to encourage you, if that's where you are, to stand up where you are, and we want to pray for you. If God has done a work in you, and, and, and you have this sense, you know what, I need to tell my story. I need to tell it more and better. I, 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 need, to, I need to focus on what God has done, the way that he has changed my life. I've just not been doing that. I've just been kind of going through the motions, and I've missed the magic of the hallmark, right? I want to invite you to stand up. If you fit in any of those categories, would you just stand up right now? We want to pray for you. Feel free. Let's, let's pray. Feel free to stand up during the prayer if you like.